And so if you were with us last Sunday, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And right before that was the season of Lent. And so that was a season of 40 days as we, we progressed and we worked all the way to Holy Week. And then Lent ends on Easter. And a lot of you were really excited about that because you gave up something maybe and you fasted from something. And so Easter means celebration of Jesus and I can watch Netflix again, right? Or celebration of Easter and I can eat chocolate again. It's like two wonderful things all happening on the same day. And But right after the season of Lent, we move as a church into the season of Pentecost. And this season is marked by the day, it's called and named after the day of Pentecost. And here's what what that is. It's a season that remembers and celebrates when Holy Spirit came and empowered the followers of Christ to birth the church. And so after Jesus comes forth from the dead, and he appears to, to Mary and some other women, and then he goes and he appears to disciples, he says he goes around for 40 days, and he appears to other followers as well, over 500 people actually. And at the end of those 40 days, he ascends into heaven. And as promised, when he ascends into heaven, he sends Holy Spirit, who is said to be like wind and fire to his followers so that they might go forth and proclaim the truth of the gospel to not only Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we are really here because of what happened on that day of Pentecost as the church and the gospel went forth from, from that place, from the city of Jerusalem. There's a passage I want to read you in, in Acts 2. You can see on the screen behind me. It says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So this is as Jesus has ascended, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So right after this, as Holy Spirit comes, he's comparing the passage right to wind and fire, which is the name of our series, as we're going to take seven weeks and talk about the Holy Spirit. Right after this moment, Peter goes out and he preaches a sermon. It's a very famous sermon because what happens is in the midst of that, after that, he's preaching before a diverse set of people that all have different languages and they don't understand what Peter is saying. But yet, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they are somehow able to understand what Peter is saying. They're able to hear the gospel in their own language, in their own tongue. And that day, 3,000 or so people come to believe in faith and the church is launched on the day of Pentecost. So we're going to spend seven weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're calling the series Wind and Fire, because you see that the Holy Spirit is often talked about as being like a mighty rushing wind and like fire. And some of you, when you heard this, you know, we just went through this series called Love War, and we spent seven or eight weeks in that. We're going working through the book of 1 Corinthians, and you heard that the next series is going to be on the Holy Spirit, and you were, like, really excited. You're like, finally, I've been waiting. I want, I've wanted to be at a church where we're going to have a series about the Holy Spirit that isn't just one sermon, but it's going to be seven weeks. That seems too long, but that's okay. Seven weeks on the Holy Spirit. And then some of you are really excited because you're like, you know what, I know a lot about the Father, I know a lot about the Son, but the Holy Spirit is, if I'm honest, kind of like the forgotten person of God. Like, I I believe in the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is three, but he is one. I I believe that. I state that. But I'm excited about seven weeks because I think I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to learn 
more about who the Holy Spirit is. And then some of you are like terrified, right? You're like walking in tonight, you're like, what is going to happen? You know, are they going to ask me to bring my own tambourine next week? I don't know, right? You're like, the Holy Spirit, I'm being honest, the Holy Spirit is like kind of like a nerve-wracking reality. I mean, I believe right in the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ, but it's a, a little bit of a, you know, intimidating person of God. A father, you're okay with Jesus is great, but the Holy Spirit's, I don't know what's gonna happen here. See, my prayer is that this series is exciting, not just because you're gonna learn more. I mean, I hope that happens, right? What we do every single Sunday night is we theologize together, right? We, we study theology, the study of God. We spend time studying God. But the hope is that this series isn't exciting and enjoyable for you just because you're going to learn more about the Holy Spirit or maybe some of your fear or your intimidation about the Holy Spirit subsides. But actually, the goal of this series is life change because that's the goal of theology, right? Growth and knowledge in who God is should always affect your life. It should change your life. And so if you're looking at your life actually sometimes and you're saying, I'm not seeing much change in my life, it's probably because there's not much theology in your life. You're probably not studying God. You're not absorbing and processing and working through the truth of his word. And so tonight, as we kick off this series, we want to say that this isn't just about learning, though I'm going to preface a little bit. I want to encourage you to, uh, to get a pen, to pull out your Bible. Uh, you're going to think in this sermon. So be ready to think. If you were just coming in, you were like, it was gloomy today. I watched way too many shows on Netflix. I'm still waking up. Like, it's time to wake up because we're going to think tonight because we're going to be talking about who is the Holy Spirit. But we don't want to just learn more. We want to see change happen in our lives, right? The Holy Spirit is compared to wind and fire. It's his name in the Old Testament is Ruah, which means wind and and pneuma in the greek which means wind and he's compared often as well to fire as we just read in acts 2 and here's what's interesting about wind and fire what happens when wind or fire enter an environment changes things right wind moves things around and blows things around creates disruption fire does the same thing it changes the environment that it's in. And see, it's, it's important because Holy Spirit is compared to these things because the Holy Spirit is bringing about change in your life. Motion, life, activity. So the very first question we're going to ask, which is probably the most important to start the series off, is who is the Holy Spirit, right? Who is the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've been in church for a while. Maybe you're, you, you know, you, you, you're a believer and follower of Christ, and you're like, the Holy Spirit is God, But if I were to ask you to stand up and explain the doctrine of the Trinity, you're like, I'm not standing up for that. (laughs) No way, right? (laughs) See, the Holy Spirit, right, is holy, which means set apart or sacred. So you may say, maybe you've said before, like, I'm trying to live a holy life. That means you're trying to live a set apart life, a different life. You're trying to live a life that is oriented to God. It's, It's running after sacredness. So the Holy Spirit is holy, he is set apart, and he's the Spirit, which you could say is kind of like the force of a person. It is the power and the presence of a person. And so the Holy Spirit is the set-apart force of God. He is the power and presence of God. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, notice the question that I asked, right, was, who is the Holy Spirit? I didn't say, what is the Holy Spirit? And that's important because I think a lot of times 
we treat the Holy Spirit like an it, right? Like what is the Holy Spirit? As if the Holy Spirit is some impersonal force of emotion or something that generates positive feelings in you. But the Holy Spirit is not an it, he's a he, right? Sometimes we can fall into the mindset of thinking that the Holy Spirit is this force that in, it causes someone to raise their hands during songs, right? Or the Holy Spirit is, you know, this force that enables some people to like sense God or feel God moving in their life or in the church. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is like for that person that like cries in yoga because, you know, they're praying instead of chanting. And so they just are really in tune, right? Sometimes we think that. Sometimes we, we think, I think if we're honest, that people that experience the power and the presence of God, the set-apart force of God, are either people that are super spiritual, they like really know a lot, they've studied, they really understand the Holy Spirit, and so they, they experience the Holy Spirit, or it's people that are really emotionally in tune. They're kind of touchy-feely kind of people, right? Maybe you've thought that before, right? I, maybe you've said to yourself, maybe not out loud, but maybe you've thought, you know, like, I don't really experience the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God at church or when I'm singing or in Bible study or when I'm reading the Bible because I'm not really an emotional person. Like, I'm not touchy-feely. I'm more, like, cognitive. It's, it's, it's more about the lyrics for me, you know? Like, it's more about, like, studying the Bible and, like, learning it's more about the mind. I'm not really as much of a heart person, and so that's why I don't experience the Holy Spirit like some people do. You see, but what you're saying in that is that you're saying that the Holy Spirit is like an it. Like some people, if they're either super spiritual or they're emotionally in tune and they're touchy-feely, then they experience the Holy Spirit. Because, you're, because God has made you more cognitive, therefore you can't experience the third person of God. That's not true at all, right? Because he's not an it. He's a he. There's an article um, in Babylon B. Okay, we've talked about this before. If you go to Babylon B, the website, it's a Christian satirical website, you will get lost for days because it's just, you click article after article after article because it's amazing. But here's an article on the Holy Spirit, right? Let me read this to you. It says this, the attendees of Oikos Church According to them, the power of God as manifested in the third person of the Trinity patiently waited in the foyer through several songs on Sunday morning before finally entering into the main sanctuary to flood the place and fill the atmosphere as gathered worshipers broke into chorus of Carrie Job's hit song, Holy Spirit, right? As we just sang the first song. After the service, the worship team reportedly apologized to the congregation for not having invited the Holy Spirit in sooner calling the first few songs a total waste. As the Spirit had not yet been officially informed that he was welcome to manifest his presence in a metaphysical way. It's, it's interesting, right? They're tapping into something that, that we feel. Now, we should be praying to the Holy Spirit. We should be praising the Holy Spirit. We should be singing to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. It's, it's God, third person of God. And yet sometimes we can treat the Holy Spirit like an it, like this impersonal force that if you kind of set the conditions right, if you play the right song and it's the right tuning and the atmosphere is alive and, and you're having a good day, you're feeling positive emotions, or maybe you're really broken and so you come in as well. And all of those things kind of converge together and then you can like really feel 
the Holy Spirit. As if the Holy Spirit is like, you know, an eighth grade summer camp that you went to for four weeks and they had this farewell party and you went and you knew nobody, but after four weeks, they're your besties and you don't know what you're going to do without them, right? And you're going to look back on that farewell party and everyone's crying and it's just this amazing thing. As if the Holy Spirit are like these instances in our lives where all the conditions converge and we're ready to receive and experience this impersonal force of God because we're emotionally in tune or maybe we're in a really good spiritual place or maybe we're just broken enough to experience the presence of God. That's not the Holy Spirit. But we can think that way sometimes. Because we treat the Holy Spirit like an it instead of a he. See, over the course of this series, what we're going to see that the Holy Spirit gives and he teaches and he equips and he comforts and he guides and he sanctifies and he sends you on mission. Notice all of those things are things that are actions of a person, not an it. Giving and teaching and guiding and comforting and sending See, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is not just a warm, powerful emotion. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. And he is actively engaged in the life of the believer. He is moving, and he is changing, and he is breathing life, and he is guiding, and he is teaching all types of things in your life. And that's why I think it is good to, and maybe you've never done this before, I want to encourage you. It's good to pray to the Holy Spirit. To ask Holy Spirit to move in your life, to to change, to teach, to guide, to comfort, to equip, because he is God. It's not just a force. Notice the first uh, few verses here in your text tonight. It says, in the beginning, right, this is the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Really interesting That's the beginning of creation. Notice what it looks like. And then the Spirit of God, so the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. Now skip down to verse 26. Look what verse 26 says. Let, what does it say? You have to say it out loud. That's how that works. Let us, let's try it one more time. Let, notice that. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, from the very beginning of Scripture, the first chapter of the entire Bible, you see the Trinity. You see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. You see God speaking as we read in 1 John that it says that Jesus was involved in creation, that nothing was made without him. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are all involved in creation. Father, the first person of God. Jesus, the second person of God. And Holy Spirit, the third. And it culminates in verse 26 where it says, let not, let me, or I am going to, but let us. This conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. See, that we say this, this is the way that we discuss their Trinity because it's really mysterious and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. We say God is one essence, three persons. Essence is being, so one being, we believe in one God, we are monotheists, but yet our God is three persons. There's a theologian, Norman Geisler, and he explains it like this. 
Essence is what you are. Essence is what you are. And being or persons, not being persons, is who you are. Essence is what you are. Persons is who you are. This is where your head's going to spin. He says that God is one what but three who's. You're like, I did not know I was going to think this much on a Sunday night. Like, someone like, what did you learn? You know, what, what did you, oh, we talked about how God is one what but three who's. And you're like, the heck happened there? But this is what we believe. God is triune, the Godhead. He is one essence, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons. And that all three the persons of God are involved in creation, as it says in that very important pronoun, let us make man in our image. I, I like to imagine as Moses is writing this, right? We, we know that Moses has written these books and he writes under the guidance of the spirit and he's learning, right? He's processing these things. He's a human being as well. And so the, the Trinity is mysterious to him as well. And it takes faith and he's trying to understand how all this works. God is one what, but three who's, one essence, three persons. And he's writing in the very beginning, Genesis 1, and he's tracking, like it's all, it's all going well. And then he gets to verse 26, and the Holy Spirit who is working in, in his mind and his heart as he's writing, and he writes, let us. And he's like, wait, what? Let us make man in our image. You see, I think the mystery of the Trinity reveals its reality. And here's why I say that. There is nothing in our world that is triune. There is nothing that is one essence and three persons. There is nothing that is one what and three who's. Nothing. And here's why that is mysteriously beautiful and why it reveals the reality and the truth of the Trinity. Because how in the world would Moses and the rest of the writers of Scripture ever dream up a concept of God that is nowhere found in their experience, that is found nowhere in nature, that is found nowhere in their life. I mean, how would they dream up a concept of God being one essence and three persons and then actually try to convince people to believe that? It's beautiful, but it's mysterious. Richard Rohr says, and it'll be on the screen behind me, it's also in your worship program. If the mystery of the Trinity is the template of all reality, what we have in the Trinitarian God is the perfect balance between union and differentiation, between autonomy and mutuality, between identity and community. See, what he's saying is that what you see in the Trinity is that Father, Son, and Spirit are one, but they are distinct. God is independent and autonomous and sovereign. But the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, are dependent upon each other. That God is one, but God is in community with himself. As we see in verse 26. So there's a question that we've been, that's jumping off of this page, and I ask you to, to, to kind of notate it in your mind in the very beginning in verse 2. When God comes as a triune God, one essence, three person, Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in creation. It says in the very beginning that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And notice what the earth is like, and what the heavens are like, what the creation is like. It's formless, and it's void, and it's empty. 
It's chaotic. And it says that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. I mean, how many of you have read that before and you're like, let's just move on. I don't know what's going on here. Like, let's get to the next one where it says, let there be light. And you're like, okay, now we're tracking. We got plants coming in. We got animals coming in. Now I know what's going on. But like this beginning section, you're like, what is happening? The Spirit is hovering, hovering over the waters. And like, this doesn't look anything like creation. So the question is, what is the Spirit's role in creation? There's a little, there's a detail there that's important as he says that the Spirit is hovering over the waters. And we're going to break that down because here's what we have to understand about God as he's one essence, three persons. That the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit work together. They work in community and they're dependent upon each other. You see that in the life of of Jesus, right? Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Messiah. The Spirit is there in the miraculous conception over Mary. The Spirit is there resting upon Jesus at his baptism. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus himself says the Spirit enables him to preach the gospel. Jesus casts out demons by the Spirit. And as we sang tonight, when Jesus is put in the grave, he comes forth from the grave alive. How? By the Spirit. See, Father, Son, and Spirit, as Jesus submits to the will of the Father, he is empowered by the Spirit. They are dependent upon each other. And you see this as well here in creation, that they work together. And see, here's what you see in the very beginning of Scripture, what you see in the life of Jesus and you see in our lives, is that the Spirit is hovering. He is patiently waiting and he is poised to order and to complete the Father's will and purposes. See, the Father's purposes and will is completed and ordered by the Spirit. Why? To help people to see and to trust and believe in his Son, in Jesus Christ. You're like, I don't see that in Genesis 1, Carter. I'm going to show it to you. See, a lot of times we look at Genesis 1, and maybe you've heard this before, that Genesis 1, you know, it it talks about creation, and some people have have tried to label Genesis 1 as a scientific text. It is not a scientific text. I'm sorry if I'm bursting your bubble. It is not a scientific text. That is not to say that you cannot mine it for truth, and you cannot try to come, come to understand origins and things from that. It is true, what we read there, but it is not a scientific text, right? It is not concerned with the how. It is concerned with the who and the why, right? As God says, let there be light, there are a lot of scientific laws and formulas and processes that are also coming into effect at that same time, but we are not given those details. We're given the very basics. We're come to note and and trust and understand that it is God, the triune God, who created all things. And Moses really wants us, as he's writing it, and God himself, as we read Genesis 1, wants us to know why. Why did he do this? What, what's, what is happening in this story? You see it here as you track through, right? In the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and it is formless, and it is void, and it is empty, and it is chaotic. When I was in Malaysia, there was this dessert called the ice kachang. If you've ever been there before, don't order it. Here's what it is. It's shaved ice with beans and jellies and weird rice noodle things and hot sauce and weird spices and condensed milk. It literally is like, I'm going to put some shaved ice, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm just going to throw everything in there and say, here's a delicacy. So we can laugh at the foreigners, right? And then I ate it, and I was mad that I ate it. 
This is what's happening in the very beginning of Genesis, right? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You're like, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And then it says, and wait, the earth was formless, and it was void, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. I mean, what is happening here? Everything is like just kind of thrown together. There's no order. And notice what happens in the text. You can read along with me. You can underline it if you have your Bible. Verse 3, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light right? So in the beginning, when he, God creates the heavens and the earth, it's dark. But then as the Father's will and his plans and his purposes is accomplished by the Spirit, there's light. And what happens? Light and darkness are separated. And it was good. Then we move to the next day. It says, and I let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And so now what's happening is the sky is being separated from the waters below. You see, the things that were formless and were disorderly and chaotic are now being ordered and formed and water is being put in the clouds and, and then there's water down on the earth as God is ordering that which is chaotic. He's forming that which was formless. And then in verse 9, he says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And so now what's happening in the earth is that there's rivers and there's streams and there's lakes as the dry land comes forth. And we're beginning to see the earth take shape with the sky and light and darkness being separated. But notice, something is missing here in the very first few days of creation. That which was formless is being formed. That which was disorderly is being ordered. The darkness is being separated from the light, but it's still empty. It's still empty. In the next few days, what does God do? He fills his creation he puts plants and he puts trees and he, he puts fish and sea creatures in the water and he puts stars in the sky. And then he puts mammals and reptiles. And then lastly, he puts humanity. So he takes in the very beginning something that is dark and formless and void and chaotic. And then over the course, as he's working through the power of the spirit, as God the father has willed and purposed it to make it look like the sun and what the sun's mission and and job is, as he accomplishes, he takes that ordered and formless and dark thing and he begins to form it and to order it and to bring light and to fill that which was empty. Do you see what's taking place? You see the mission of God. You see God's heart here in Genesis 1. See, God is in the mission. He's in the business of taking formless, void, dark, and empty things and ordering them and forming them and filling them and bringing light into places that are dark. This is God's heart. This is the gospel, right? We celebrated this last week that Jesus has come to live a life that we could not live, to die a death that we deserve in our payment for our sins, and he's buried in the grave, and then he comes forth by the power of the Spirit three days later alive. And we're told as we believe and we trust in faith that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Redeemer and our Messiah, that what happens to us that are formless and empty and disorderly and chaotic and dark, we are made a new creation by the power of the Spirit as He orders us and as He forms us and as He fills us where we were once empty and as He brings light, as He brings Christ into our life to cast out darkness. Romans 8, 
says this, there is, thou ne'er, thou, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who has raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. See, maybe you feel sometimes like there are a lot of places in your life that are dark, right? There's anxiety, there's stress, there's depression, there's brokenness. Maybe you feel like there are places in your life that are chaotic. There's no rhythm. It's disorderly. Maybe you feel like there are places in your life that are empty. You're just dissatisfied. You're unfulfilled. Maybe there are places in your life that are formless, right? You don't You feel like you don't have a purpose. There's no meaning. Well, see, what we see in Genesis 1 is the gospel. And we see who God is and what the Holy Spirit's role is in your life. He is poised and hovering to complete the Father's good will in your life. He is waiting and he is poised to order that which is disorderly and to fill those empty spaces and to cast out darkness. But here's the reality. Though you're being made a new creation, you're not a perfect creation. And so though for those of us of faith, we're still going to feel areas of darkness and, and and being formless without purpose and chaotic. And so the question is, okay, so what do I do then if I'm sensing that? Well, Genesis 1 tells us, you ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to do what he does. He orders and he fills and he springs light and he is the one by the power as he comes to dwell in you, not just in your heart, but also in your mind to bring you to become more like the son, to become more like Jesus, who is perfectly pure and light, who is perfectly ordered, who is perfectly full, who is perfectly formed. He makes you like him. And so my prayer for for all of us, including myself, is that we would no longer ignore the spirit as an impersonal force for the super spiritual or the emotionally in tune. But we would recognize that the spirit is God and he is personal and he is in my head and he is in my heart through faith. And his job is to work in my life, to form and to order and to bring light and fullness where there is emptiness. Let's pray.